Welcome to Series 5 of the Lawyers Coach Podcast. My name is Claire Rayson, and each episode of this podcast will feature myself or Oliver Hansard, both of us coaches and former lawyers, trying to find out what makes lawyers tick. We will be hearing from various guests and experts, and then at the end of each episode, we will both be reflecting on what they said. The Lawyers Coach Podcast is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. In this episode, Oliver Hansard spoke to Sarah McCarthy, who is Chief Legal Officer at Dunhumby. She spoke to Ollie about the transition from private practice to in-house lawyer. She thought about the skills she looks for in her team and talked about why it's important to learn every day. But first of all, Ollie asked her what it was that attracted her to law in the first place. Brilliant question. Well, I originally... (laughs) I, what I ask myself often. Um, I mean, I originally actually did a geography degree, which I loved, um, but then started to be attracted to law and to the conversion course in London. Um, really, and I remember being asked this question in my training contract interview, and I'll give you the same answer as I gave the partners who were interviewing me, which was... But it still stands true, does it? It still stands true. I wanted to help people solve their problems, which, you know, sounds a bit perhaps altruistic and glib but fundamentally that's at the heart of of the lawyer's trade I believe um and I guess I've always enjoyed words more than numbers so so the law seemed like uh, like a good place to start and then that move to Dunhumby what what prompted that what was behind that yeah so I think I knew I wanted to really get under the skin of a business you know that's often the reason that in-house practitioners give for their for their move out of private practice you know to really contribute to a business's growth and success in a more permanent way than you can when you're advising from an external perspective on the push side and let's be honest there's usually a combination of both in most most moves that people make um i guess i felt personally misaligned perhaps to some of the values and culture i experienced in private practice at, I, at the time, I probably lacked some strong female role models who I could really aspire to emulate. Uh, and we're talking you know, nearly 15 years, maybe more than 15 years ago now. So, I, and I know things have moved on considerably since then um, on all fronts, actually, which is brilliant to see. But at the time, I, you know, values and culture still is very, very much core to, um, to what sort of interests me makes me tick what I really believe is at the heart of the success of any business really and I, and I wanted to find a business where I felt really attuned attuned to that and could really buy into um to the values so you turn up at this crazy little company in Ealing <laughs> and you having come from Slaughter and May one of the biggest names in, in the legal industry in terms of your your legal skills and your commercial skills how equipped were you for that that new role and what did you need to learn? I mean, I should ask you the question back, Ollie, since you were the, you were my boss at the time. Um, <laughs> no, no, um, you're the guest here. <laughs> so I think, you know, from a technical skills point of view, I was brilliantly equipped. Um, you know, Slaughter and May gave me an amazing um, grounding in the law and in technical skills um, that was never a problem I think what I needed to adapt to really really quickly to sort of, I guess state the obvious I was very used to my client being a lawyer right when you're when you're working in private practice normally you're, you're working with the in-house lawyers so you do tend to speak the same language 
move the move in house was the big shock to me was you know how different it was when your client is not not only a non-lawyer but somebody who may have never actually engaged or looked at a contract or anything vaguely legal before in their life until they've had having to come across you in the in-house legal team and that was a big shift in in terms of um, you know, flexing my style to you know, get the right messages landed and to connect with all sorts of different types of, of, of people across the business but one that I really enjoyed I mean I, I'm you know I'm, I'm a people person at heart and I, and I you know that's big part of what I love about being in-house is you know the massive breadth of types of people that you get to work with and how you have to flex your style and put yourself in their shoes to understand where they're coming from and um and to get to the right result for for, for them and the business so as new lawyers join your team what are the things that they need to learn as they come possibly from private practice roles yeah so we hire lawyers into the team sometimes they've had in-house experience sometimes they come fresh from private practice um one of the first things that i'm really upfront with them about them needing to learn um is patience because you know i hire smart lawyers ambitious lawyers who come into the business and i say right how long do you think it's going to take you to really get your head around how dunhamby works and um and you know normally the answer is i reckon you know a couple of months and I say, actually, you've got to be a lot more patient and kind to yourself than that. You will always be learning about how this business works. Um, to really get under the skin of it is going to take you at least six to 12 months. But frankly, even after 13 years, I'm still learning every day, which is one of the brilliant things um, about being in a business like Dunhumby, you know, in a fast paced industry, um, huge amount of change. So I think, you know, becoming a bit... Um, being humble about that and not expecting and being kind to yourself and expecting to have all the answers straight away. Um, because if you do, you're probably not really getting to the crux of what the business issue is that you're ultimately trying to solve for. Do you think that the remote working that everybody's gone through, that's made that harder then for, for lawyers joining businesses to, to get under the skin of, uh, of their client? I think it definitely has inevitably I think we probably are better equipped perhaps in the in-house legal industry to help with that than perhaps in private practice I mean once you've learned your I find I struggle to put myself in the shoes of a, a, a trainee at a law firm you know doing a training contract remotely must be incredibly hard because so much of what you learn is through being in the room and you know, seeing the body language and observing um, meetings, certainly if you're talking some negotiation skills. But um, I, I think it has been hard. I mean, I've hired um, a number of lawyers through the pandemic. And I think we've just had to work extra hard at just really treating people like you are sitting in the office next to them. So if you've got a question, you know, you can just call someone or you know ping them on teams as if you were turning to them across the desk and that's the culture that I really tried to encourage in my team so that we break down as many barriers as possible just because we may be sitting in different buildings on opposite sides of the city or the country or the world in some cases. And have they succeeded in doing that? Have they become you know part of a cohesive team in joining during the pandemic? Because I'm with you I, I, I think to move into a new role during the pandemic 
someone's got to be incredibly brave to do that. So, yeah, how's that gone? I think they've done brilliantly, actually. And I think, in a way, it's really interesting, isn't it? The, um, how the pandemic has sort of changed the way that teams and businesses work. I think it's, it's been a great leveller in many ways. And it's been because everybody, regardless of sort of what role or position you are in the organisation, you know, you've got to see inside each other's homes. You've got to meet each other's children, if you have children, probably, or flatmates or pets. The dog, yeah. My, my yeah. dog's always involved in my meetings, that's for sure. Yeah, and I, I've had a number of people in my team say, you know, they feel, weirdly, they feel they know me so much better after two years of remote working than really? they did sitting that's in the office funny. next to me, which is was really gave me pause for thought. I was like, right. God. Who was I in the office? You know, I thought I was just the same person, but all of a sudden, um, you know, it's been it's been this leveler and actually been a cohesive thing that's pulled people together. I mean, that's not to say it's all. It's not a matter of rose tinted spectacles here at all. There's been some real, um, real challenges, but in a funny way, I do think actually, you know, especially when there's a number of people who've joined during the pandemic, it, there's something that pulls people together there, and you kind of have to go the extra mile to make sure they feel included and um up to speed and clear on what's being asked of them in their role you know, we doubled doubled up on one-to-ones immediately that we went into home working um just to connect more just to over amp on that i guess and then obviously you need to lean on external counsel um in your role how much do you rely on external counsel on a day-to-day basis in the business? Yeah, so we use, like many businesses, we use external counsel for overflow and project work primarily. And given our global footprint, we operate in over 30 countries around the globe. We use local counsel a lot for making sure we're across the local laws. Um, so, but, but yeah, for, in the UK, it's largely for overflow and project work. And do you have, need to put lots of energy into onboarding, particularly, you know, external council based somewhere thousands of miles away? Do you need to put a lot of energy into, into onboarding them and making them understand what you do and what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Dunhumby is not a straightforward business for external council to get their head around. Um, and, you know, as any in-house lawyer will tell you, what they really want from their, their external counsel is to be an extension pretty much of the in-house team. That is a really tough ask, especially if you're just working with external lawyers who you might you know, have one deal a year in Spain, for example. So you're not engaging them on a, on a you know, week in, week out basis. Um, so something we actually did really effectively having struggled with this for a while we'd sort of put together packs of induction packs for external counsel and we actually pulled together a forum a european forum where we got our external counsel from all over europe to come together for a full day what is what does dunhumby do Mm. um and it worked really really well Um, we brought in people from the business to talk about what we do as well it wasn't just a legal team telling them telling them about dunhumby and that really energized them engaged them it built a bit of a community actually really which has been really helpful to us and um you know it's so we, we need to refresh it about once a year but that's been a really effective 
an efficient way um, of, of bringing external counsel in a region up to speed. Great idea and great to bring in the business as well, you know, to get them to, to play their part. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so what skills do you look for then in your external counsel, away from obviously being, you know, a cracking lawyer? What, what softer skills do you, do you look for? Mm. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's the obvious things, right, around... Um, of course, being a cracking lawyer, um, but and nobody wants that, although you still get them, those long advice notes that need rewriting before you can pass them on or, or helpfully use them with the business. Um, I think the softer skills piece, though, is so, so important, equally so, I would say, and historically perhaps has been overlooked a bit. For me, having shared values and a complementary culture is really key. Um, and that's partly so that you know that you're going to work well together and you're probably going to be working you know, potentially on tricky issues, perhaps at unsociable times. And, you know, having a sort of shared set of values and a culture which sort of doesn't have to be the same, but that gels is, is really important. So, so yeah, on, on the soft, soft skill side, I think, I think that's really important. But then there's also a piece, I think, around you know how how do you bring them make that the mature extension of the in-house legal team and you know I think flexible resourcing models and billing models are all really key there the other thing that's really important to, to businesses today is, is the piece around you know, the diversity and inclusion piece and whether that's it links in a bit to the values but but it's more than that both you know within the firm what's the firm's approach to to diversity and inclusion and what are they doing about it and then I guess the next step is, you know, how can they partner with me, their client, to help us progress the agenda there? Is there a sort of partnership that, you know, I think DNI is more than um, a nice to have these days. You know, we know that we get better business results when we have a diverse and inclusive environment. Um, and I think that private practice firms have an ever greater role that they could play there. And I think that would be a real strength for them and a differentiator. Are they aware of that? Are they aware that they they need to improve there, do you think? I think some are, definitely. And I think there's you know good work being done across certain firms um, that I know of in the UK around apprenticeship schemes, um, you know, offering training to their clients, not legal training, but you know, training around um subconscious bias and, and and other sort of elements but I think it's potted and and um and I think for some in some firms certainly they're coming from quite a quite a low base and they're needing to catch up fast um yeah but how do you work that out how do you work out that you, you've picked the right or you're going to pick the right firm and there will be that commonality of behaviors there I, I'm, all, I'm all about having really transparent and sort of candid conversations, right? And, and that's part of what I would do. I do when I, certainly if it's firms that we're going to have, you know, a decent, do a decent amount of work with over a long period of time, I have that conversation and ask them, well, what are you doing? And how are you measuring this? And how do you know you're progressing on DNI? What are your DNI metrics? And if they don't have a good answer for that, you know pretty quickly that they haven't thought about it <laughs> too much. Um, so I think it's just about you know, making your ex expectations really, really clear. Um, and then perhaps in the absence of metrics, if they're not looking at these things, putting forward a suggestion, which is like, well, look, what, this is where, 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 
let's work on something together. Let's figure out what is meaningful and what is what is possible, um, and, and take the conversation forward in that way to sort of help progress the agenda from our side. And so, a final question as we come towards the end of our our conversation, and that's. I'm intrigued to know about your success model and what you think in, in your working life, what success means to you. Yeah, so I think success is measured on all sorts of levels, right? And part of what I love about what I do is I'm really proud of my team. I've had the privilege to build a, a really fantastic team and um, and, and I love working with them. You know, I, I really, really enjoy helping lawyers grow and develop and and become brilliant in-house lawyers um but then if you take a further step back you know success on an even broader even broader perspective and I think the pandemic has taught us all this to, to varying extents you know how do you really make sure that you're sort of making a difference in the right way at the right time you know, how do you balance, you know, I'm a full-time working mum, I've got seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. For me, very personally, um, if I can feel that I am succeeding by my own definition of success across being a full-time mum and a full-time, you know, chief legal officer, then, oh, and a wife, I mustn't forget that bit, um, <laughs> then, then that's good enough for me. And I don't always get it right. But I've learned, and I've definitely set myself too high standards along the along the way, and been too hard on myself when I've fallen by the wayside. But if you can get up when you fall by the wayside and don't do it quite how you would have liked to, uh, and you can pick yourself up and and be kind to yourself and and go again, then I think that's a pretty good model for success. What a great place to end, Sarah. You're an absolute legend. Thank you very much for being on the pod. Uh, wonderful speaking to you. My pleasure. So that was Ollie speaking to Sarah McCarthy of Dunhumby. Ollie, a really interesting conversation. What was your key takeaway? What really struck me was about that need to have an alignment of values between a client and a law firm. So if you get that right, so much else falls into place. And I wonder how often law firms really think about that, think about are they the right firm for that client or is it just another catch that's you know my biggest reflection I think yeah and the other thing that I've kind of picked up that she spoke about was you know when you're in a law firm your client tends to be a lawyer and when you move across into private practice your client becomes the business and the shift in mindset and the shift in 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 the way that you need to practice when when that happens. And it's something that we've heard over and over again from all of our in-house guests. And I wonder, again, whether firms, I mean, Helen Lowe was a great example of that as, as well, wasn't she, this series? I wonder how many firms realise the difference. I think that's right. When you're practising in-house, your your client is can be, you know, on the next door desk. You know, there's no, there's no hiding. You need to get the job done. So I think there's a, there's a real piece of work that needs to be done by you by law firms to to invest and become part of the team, part of their client's team. Um, And and a lot of that will probably go unrewarded, maybe be unbillable, dare I say. But it's not really until you can do that, that you can really collaborate effectively and deliver the service that clients yearn for. 
collaboration and the billable hour. I think that's um, a good place to end this episode on. So, Oli, thanks for speaking to Sarah. Absolute pleasure. And hopefully uh, you will join us for the next episode where we are both going to be speaking to Nicola Jones, wrapping up the series and thinking about the key skills that lawyers need for the future. Lawyers Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. If you're enjoying this series, please rate us on your podcast provider so that others can find us. If you're a lawyer and would like to take part in Lawyers Coach, please visit our website, lawyercoach.co.uk, for further details. And you can also join the conversation on our LinkedIn group, Lawyers Coach. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss, then just get in touch.